So why is it that? No. So this is what we. Another day, another dollar. Okay, Kando, Candace Clark, also known as Kando the Farm Club, checking in um, from Chicago. This is Camper K, Kayla Peterson, KP, out here in the great state of Texas, um, where it's getting a little cold this weekend. Mm. <laughs> a little cold. Oh, it's snowing right now in Chicago, so. <laughs> right. So for Y'all- some people, welcome to the actual cold weather. And for others, welcome to the beginning <laughs> of your fake winter. Right. Welcome to Farm Plug TV, where we're here to educate, thrive, and connect. So yeah. as always, let's kick it off with some news. So I do have two news. Um, I do have some news articles. At first, I thought I didn't, but I do. Um, so for one, um, they are considering, um, with Joe Biden being the president now, they are considering having Tom Vilsack who was the USDA Secretary of Agriculture under Obama. They want to have him back again. He has been nominated or they're having conversations around nominating him. And that is just extremely problematic for a lot of reasons. So some people are like, well, and they're cool with it because he was under OBZ, under Obama. But other people are like, no, player, you weren't doing what you were supposed to do. And in a lot of cases, um, a lot of people aren't aware, but the closest that we've ever kind of come to reparations is when a group of black farmers filed a class action lawsuit against the United States Department of Agriculture and won. So that was called the Pigford claim. So it's Pigford versus the United States Department of Agriculture. But in a recent article, um, they were doing research around how the USDA has been claiming to get more young people of color into farming and how a lot of the racist practices that they had been involved in, the discriminatory practices that they were practicing um, for like the past 50 years, really since the inception of the USDA, um, that they had been curbing it and things like that and that the discrimination was going down. But there was an article that came out last year pretty much blowing that uh that announcement to shit right it was a bunch of myths it was a lot of lies that the usda were basing those um i guess progressive claims on and so the fact is that they had never properly addressed or took proper note of the the civil rights discriminatory claims to even know to be able to properly measure how they had been doing to respond to them. So the fact that they never really came up with a plan to measure how their strategy was impacting small farmers just lets you know that it wasn't really something that was on the top of their agenda. And the propaganda and the communication that they put out is totally misleading versus what they were actually doing. So they were intentionally lying about the work that they were doing to get more people of color involved in agriculture. And Vilsack, was the the secretary while all of this was going on. So I know Kayla, a couple of um, weeks ago, you also mentioned that for his climate change committee, he also picked someone who was highly questionable. So Biden, in terms, I would just say for the environmental space and for the agriculture space, I don't know how promising um, it's going to look for small to mid-sized agriculturalists. And then in lieu of that energy, just really wanted to highlight the farmers in India right now who are on about, I believe is day 20 of their protest. Um, so they actually just had a hunger strike from 8 a.m. on Monday and it ended at 5 p.m. on yesterday. So for those who don't know, um, there are a bunch of farmers in India right now who are protesting because of the um, regulations around India's agriculture sector that are pretty much making the farmers pay huge prices to the point where a lot of them, you know, farmer suicide in India has been up, like, and it's keep, it keeps rising because of the debts. And so they are reaching their breaking point and that's really why they're um, on strike. So we're gonna, I'm trying to reach out to somebody over there to see if we can interview someone or get some information from them to get a voice from on the ground over there as to what's actually going on. But those are the two stories that I have. Kayla, you know, like on the news, they were like, back to you, Kayla. Sorry, due to technical difficulties, um, I, I had a bit delay there. 
but um, it's great to hear from you, Kando, the farm plague. Um, I'm calling in from Texas. We have little to no news here <laughs> in Texas. Um, we were preparing for this episode mentally and spiritually, so the news has escaped us this week. Um, but there's some stuff in Texas happening with water. Water is always a big issue. There one thing was a Supreme Court case between Texas and New Mexico over a water dispute, dispute issue, and they sided with New Mexico, so Texas lost that dispute. So I know there's going to be some farmers that are upset um, with regards What is the dispute? Do you know more about what it is? So I, I'm pretty sure it's regarding a water rights in um, the right to like uh, what's called downstream versus upstream water right and who the water belongs to along the Pecos River um, that ends in Texas. So I think they were disputing of what quantity of water belongs um, to New Mexico versus Texas and how much that water should be allowed to flow to Texas versus dammed up and saved um, for New Mexico users. And there's a, we have a good amount of farmers in the Pecos of River Valley in Texas who do cantaloupes and also I, we have some corn and wheat in that region as well. We'll see. Cool. And I see Sharman just put some things in here. I did see that article about the three richest people in the United States pretty much are positioned so that they won't have to pay any taxes. So we are, you know, COVID is still going on, but we're seeing all these other things go on in terms of the economic state of our country right now, which I think is so perfect for our conversation today. Hey, and we talk about E, baby, cause hey, we on E, baby. What they, what Boosie say? Pulling, what he say? Wait, damn, I was, I was on. What Boosie say? Boosie say I pull up to the club, gas tank on E, but all drinks on me. Wipe me down. Oh. Wipe me Wipe down. down. Yeah. Hey. Yes. Yes. We so E is for environmental <laughs> economics. Yeah. So I had to do a little mental prepare preparation for this episode. I had to take myself back to grad school, back where <clears throat> Kando and I first met in the classroom, debating people, asking those hard questions. So um, this episode will be a great way to talk about those really complicated issues that or surround economics, but we're gonna simplify them. We're gonna do a little bit of layman's talk. We're gonna break it down so you can understand why the environment is important and why the economics of the environment is important. Um, so Kanda, you got something to share over there? What you got? Yeah, I saw Charmin and this is so perfect in lieu of our conversation she just put in Forbes magazine, is this Forbes? No, Business Insider. Water futures are set to join the likes of gold and oil and to be traded on Wall Street for the first time ever. So this is a perfect opportunity for us. And we're gonna talk about why stuff like water and common goods that everyone has access to. What separates, what, what is environmental economics? Why is, why is water, people who don't even know what futures are, right? When we talk about trading natural resources <clears throat> on Wall Street, it's called futures because you can't determine it now. You got to determine the price in the future. So they set a, a price for it today, and that's the price that it is in the future, no matter what the value of that product goes to. So for water to actually be placed on Wall Street, what is that? That just kind of blew my whole mind. Um, Kayla, so both, I mean, I, I feel like this is going to be inter, interwoven through the conversation this evening, but um, I guess our first question is, what is environmental economics, right? That is that our first question? Yeah, that is our first question. Yeah, let's, let's come, let's come back to that question because it's, that's such the topic of water being traded on the market. It, it's a huge news, but it's also can be controversial, definitely amongst the environmental community. So I feel like you know, that's a topic we can weave back in uh, when, we, when we get a little bit deeper. So, you know, when we talk about environmental economics, you know, we know what the environment is and we know what economics is. So in simple terms is trying to place value on the environment. And what is environment? Uh, the environment is water. The environment is clean air. The environment is trees, greenery, recreational space, fisheries, 
Um, any other examples you got, Kando? I know in, sometimes in urban areas, the environment can look different um, versus with me here in Texas. But how, what is environment to you and how, how do you see, you know, values being placed on the environment around you? Definitely. So when I think about the word environment, I think of living and non-living factors that make up what surrounds you, right? So your environment, I, I immediately go to your senses, right? The five senses. What do you see, smell, hear, taste, and feel? Um, and these things consist of your environment, right? So like you said, in an in a urban space, in like Chicago, um, our environment, you know, I think about skyscrapers. I think about, we still have gardens, right? We still have farms where we were just talking about the whole first 10 minutes of this conversation. So, um, but the environment is not just limited to nature, if that makes sense. And so the environment quite literally um, is everything that surrounds you at any given time, no matter where you are, right? And as a, as a human, right, I, I feel like I'm a part of my environment and I engage with my environment. So the same way like we inhale oxygen exhale co2 and then trees inhale co2 and exhale oxygen there is a relationship between me and the environment me and my environment and so i think that environmental economics is attempting to quantify or put a number to what that relationship looks like between humans and nature or humans being in nature or that's a whole nother conversation um, but yes, between that relationship. I really, I'm glad that you mentioned skyscrapers or buildings because, you know, at first I didn't think about that, but I feel like I, <clears throat> I was thinking about it a little bit more as you were talking, but I'm like, there's so many different ways that these buildings can affect your quality of environment, whether good or bad, whether it's shelter or it can be a negative shelter where it blocks the sun, where, you know, you there's so many big buildings of skyscraper, you don't see the sun for a couple of streets or, even, you know, there is the idea of placing value on open space, like having an open field, you know, and so if you're in an area where there's all buildings, you know, and that's the environment you're placed in 24-7, you know, from zero to 45 or zero to 12, that can affect your environment and your relationship with and, and it's interesting, too, another piece of news that I just came to my mind is Joe Biden was talking about um, land conservation and how he's vowing to give millions of dollars to land conservation and what that looks like. So Darian, for example, if you were someone to buy a whole bunch of land somewhere, um, pretty much there are programs, excuse me, within the USDA where you could lit you would literally be paid to not farm a certain percentage of your land. And that would be considered conservation. So like owning land is so many benefits to owning land um, and to, to owning pieces of your environment um, and how that trickles down to the commute, like to that economic piece. You know what I'm saying? Like quite literally there are advantages, it, like tax breaks, all of these different um, privileges really that you get from owning land and that if you don't own land um and even some people who do own land aren't even aware of what that and it, it has real life economic translation yeah and it's interesting how that value of land can change depending on its quality depending on who is determining the qual you know the value of the land depending on if it's an heir's property and if it has a proper title associated with it or not and so I feel like that's another topic, you know, we'll talk about is how this economics of the environment is somewhat shifty. Like there's not a, you know, straight and strict term of how we determine what has value and what doesn't have value and who, who gets the benefit of that value. Mm. You know? um, but something else that came to my mind too, Kayla, is I remember um, in this environmental economics course that we, one time we were looking at a home right and thinking about your environment in an urban space right so when you're say for example you're about to buy a home right and you look at one home in the hood and one home in the suburbs right why does one home cost more versus the other home right and there is the economic equation that factors in the environment right it takes into account how much green space is around your home the quality of air in your home the quality of water that reaches your home the quality of the pipes that carry water to your home all of these things are factored into the cost of your house 
So when we start, again, when we think about our environment and, and how environmental economics plays a role in your life, no matter if you're in, in an urban space or in a rural space, um, the environment and the quality of your environment has a very, very real effect on your economic situation every single day. So um, if anyone was wondering why that's important, that's why environmental economics matters, right? Because it, it quite literally is talking about why supply and demand. So we think about economics, let's like take, even take out the environmental piece first. Economics quite basically is looking at the laws of supply and demand, right? What do we have available and who wants what we have available? And so typically there's a relationship between supply and demand where when supply goes down, the, the demand goes up. And when the demand goes down or no, when the supply is high, the demand goes down because you flood the market, right? But the environment doesn't really work that way. So, okay, I'm going to toss it back to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a great way to kind of go into our second question, which is, you know, why is the economics of the environment different? Like, why do we treat, you know, trees or treat water, fresh air differently than, you know, your cell phone that you buy? Or what do you say? Gold or oil. Gold, oil. Um, oil is technically, you know. Yeah, yeah. And gold, um, but. Yeah, those are resources too. Yeah, yeah, true. And but those can be commodified and you know placed a value on. Whereas you know something like fresh air, like Candace just said, it does and can directly impact the value of your house if you live in an area that's polluted versus even if it's not in the hood. If you had two houses that were exactly the same, they had the exact same distance from a school district, they had the exact same three bedroom, two bath you know, with a view, all that stuff, but one house had poor air quality than the other. You know, the one with the better air quality is going to be uh, valuized or evaluated at higher, um, at a higher price because it's worth more because, you know, having access to that air quality is, you know, valuable. But at the same time, no one directly pays for that. No one is, you know, directly creating fresh air. The trees are, but we're, we're not paying the trees to produce that. So because, you know, no one's paying that service, there's this, you know, lack of ownership that isn't associated with, you know, free goods, what we call public goods. That's one of our um, trigger words. One of our definitions for this um, episode is a, a public good. So like fresh air, trees, open spaces, a lot of these are public goods, so no one's directly paying for them. And since no one's paying for them, it's really easy for them to be depleted. Like, you know, if you're not gonna pay for, you know, if you have that friend, if we all have that friend that we give them a ride everywhere and we let them eat at their house and they ain't paying for it. You know, the first time is cool, the second time is cool, but we keep doing that, we keep doing that. And that friend knows that they don't have to come out of pocket. And since they know that they don't have to come out of pocket, they're not gonna be very resourceful or very protective of your time, of your gas money, of the food that you put in your house. So it's the same way. If you're not actively filling the cost of this item, of this value of the environment, you're less likely to try to protect it, to try to preserve it. And that's what we've done to the sea, the ocean. You know, no one's really paying for clean water in the ocean, but now it's all plastic in there because no one's really bearing that weight. So that's one way you can kind of say how environmental goods are different from some of the other goods we see commodified. I don't know if there's any other definitions or anything else you want to outline in that kind of basic. Yeah, I mean, it's just like clean air, you know what I'm saying? Like, we all have to breathe it, you know what I'm saying? Everyone has to breathe the air, you know what I'm saying? Until you start getting in the chambers where, you know, gas mags, the future people sell, like in China, they already sell bags of air on the internet. So, you know, that's why water being able to be traded on the stock market, this raises different types of alarms, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, even when you start thinking about different types of water, spring versus distilled versus alkaline, all of these things, the reality is really you just need water, homie, I'm gonna be real with you, clean, potable drinking water. And, um, you know, alkaline is definitely better, uh, you know, when you start getting into those type of degrees of health for your body. But 
ultimately like you you need there are basic things that you need to survive and a lot of those things that you need to survive tend to be communal goods right there are things that um like even the whole like land let's take a beach for example um nobody really technically has the right to own a beach right in the united states unless they own a beach right so it's it gets fine print but in a lot of cases um so for example um, na national parks, right? A lot of times you have to pay to get into a national park. It may be like just $2 or something like that to help cover the maintenance and the upkeep and the employees and people that work there. But for the most part, um, the National Park Service is severely under budgeted and they are lacking a lot. But um, I know the Indiana Dunes, for example, right next door in Illinois, is like you can see um, like people live around the dunes, but nobody lives like on the dune, like the actual dune that is like historic and biodiverse and things. Nobody lives on it, but everyone has access to it. And the government, the National Park Service, is there as a regulatory body. See what I'm saying? To help manage and maintain and to keep that perception that Kayla touched on. Like, oh, well, if it's free, I don't, I don't really have to care. If no one's monitoring it, then I can kind of, I can do whatever I want. I can litter however I want because no one really is holding me accountable. And so that's when you get different institutions that are set up and um, regulatory bodies and stuff. But yeah. um, bringing it back though, um, so we had kind of touched on like supply and demand, right? So when, when you talk about cell phones, right? You can produce a cell phone, you know, the iPhone is something new, supply is low, the demand is up, it's something new, right? Things like that. But um, what about Kayla? I mean, so this is, I'm trying to say the definition without saying the definition, but market failures is pretty much what I'm going to, right? And, and market failures um, are presented, it's like, what happens when that equation of supply and demand does not pan out in the regular way that it typically does with other non-natural resource oriented items, right? And so um, the environment is really one of the few cases where supply and demand, that equation don't matter because it don't matter how much water you got, people need water to survive. So no matter what the supply is, the demand is always gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the main distinctions when you talk about the environment, the economics of the environment is that's where you get these market failures and you get um, situations where you know, the supply and demand doesn't level out. It never gets to that equilibrium or that, you know, uh, high level of efficiency that allows you to continue to produce because that's what capitalism rests on, this, con this idea of continual production um, and that no matter what, the market will solve the issue and it will find the perfect price for the environment, the perfect price for pollution, um, the perfect price for water, but that doesn't happen with the, the environment. And it produces what we call externalities. So that's another one of our keywords um, um, for the episodes is it, it, it sounds or is exactly what it sounds. It's an externality. So it is outside of the equation, like the equation that Candace was saying that this, the valuable resource of water or fresh air, that's a big one. Because when we talk about fresh air, what we're really talking about is climate change, you know, because it is the pollution, it's the carbon dioxide, it's the um, CO2 and gases, gas, greenhouse, methane, that's what I was trying to think of, methane, the greenhouse gases, that is what's causing climate change and global warming and severe weather, um, weather patterns, all these things that we're seeing now and we're feeling the effects of, that is result of extreme amount of pollution. And the people who are doing the polluting aren't paying for that pollution. No one's paying for that pollution. They're, they're creating a product that no one's paying for. And since no one's paying for this product, pollution, uh, greenhouse gases, and it's existing, and it's outside of this market. And so since it's outside of this market, no one's regulating it, and no one's bearing the price and the cost of that. And without bearing the cost of that, no one's going to curb it. No one's going to actually put in the resources, the investments to fight it to the extent and the pace that it's needed to be fought. Exactly. So let's take, uh, let's, let's use an example, right? So COVID-19, right? We know that poor air quality leads to a higher chance of you having upper respiratory issues, right? If you are 
having more upper respiratory issues, you are then at a higher risk of COVID-19. How do we put a price on the pollution that has now made you and your family more susceptible to COVID-19? How do we put a price on if you and your family get COVID-19, right? The damage, if your family, if you lose a loved one, right? And now you see what I'm saying? How do we put a price on your health care, right? On your on your insurance. How do we put a price on these things that you're you may have to pay for in the future as well? Right. So these are externalities again that have very real effects on people in their lives. They do end up costing us money in the long run, but how much does it cost to mitigate those long-term costs, right? How much does it cost to not pollute as much or to pollute extra? right who 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 bears the brunt of this cost if we pollute so much and now more people are sick right where do these things fall so these are externalities we know the, they exist but then whose job is it to pay these externalities right and the i great i love that you brought up that point because it it reminded me of uh what we realized in our in our program in our class that when you actually do the work, whether it's pencil work, whether it's regression analysis, I'm not an economics an economist, so I'm not going to tell you the exact processes that you take. But when you do those processes, you find out that in the long run, the investment in protecting the environment, providing clean air, um, those those preventions of medical um, expensive death, you know, all these things that you prevent the benefits outweigh the cost, but it's in such a long-term investment. It's over 10 years or over 15 years. And since we're such an instant gratification type society that we can't actually look at those benefits 10 years down the road and be like, oh, that's worth investing in, you know, $10 million to uh, prevent pollution today, you know? And that's one of the biggest things that really irked me. What I learned is that at, over time, this is going to be the biggest benefit for the well-being of our society, you know, at, at large. Of the but, earth, nigga. Not of the earth. Society, of the, the environment, earth, yes, nigga. Yes, earth, yes. nigga. Earth. You, me, the plants, the trees, all of it. Everybody. I'm telling you, um, me and my brother, we got that joke. International Space Station is like, yo, we down here arguing over police kicking our ass and then you know, you got, it's an illusion on earth, like China and the United States don't fuck with each other, but they definitely are in this thing called the International Space Station, living together, running tests, figuring out how to get humans to live full-time in earth. So if people beefing on earth, but in outer space, they cold chilling, what does that mean for earth, nigga? And where is you finna be, nigga? See, these are the questions we got to ask, y'all. That's why I be tweaking out, because it's like, okay, now we're into this thing like 2020 marks the beginning of what they call in the decade of action. And so I'm going to be talking about this a lot because the decade of action is pretty much the 10 years that we have to get our actions, our, our behaviors of polluting and contributing to climate change under control before there's nothing we can do. And climate change becomes this inevitable thing that is going to fuck up everybody's coexistence on earth, right? So then the question is like, well, damn, G, if we know, like, this is the decade of action, bro. We got 10 years left to make some real fucking changes. Let's just stop doing everything, Kayla. Why we don't just stop polluting? Why don't we just say, fuck it? Let's, was, here. Let's stop this shit. Why that is a great transition to our third question. That was literally our third question. Why don't we just stop polluting? Like, why isn't it that simple? If we know that we only have 10 years, we know that the investments over the long run is beneficial to human life, animal life, and the earth writ large. And we know that people today, people today are dying and being hurt and being harmed, you know, having asthma, significant, you know, impacts of these um, the pollution. You know, why don't we stop? Like what is preventing us from stopping? And I mean, at the end of the day, it's money. I'm like, about to say, Charmin, Daria, okay. why we don't just stop polluting? Oh. Yeah, y'all got ideas? <laughs> y'all know? We don't just stop. Like, we know climate change is real. What's I literally had to tell somebody who took a bag of garbage. Like, you know how people have garbage in their car, like in plastic bags and stuff? And he was about to put it on the street, like, just sit it on the street. 
And I'm like, what are you doing? It's a whole garbage can on the block, like on the end of the block. Why don't you just put it in the garbage can? He like, for what? It's trash out here already. And I'm like, that's the problem. Cause people like you taking whole garbage out your car, just throwing it on the ground. And it's a whole garbage can right there. Like just put it in the garbage can. Like <laughs> that'd be blowing me. That'd be blowing me though. Like some things you can, like some things are preventable. Like I can see if it was trash that literally like, for example, as we know, CTA, right? They're not as frequent. Maybe they are now, but before they're not as frequent with cleaning the garbage cans. So sometimes the garbage cans overflow and like, you know, stuff will blow off. So if that happens, that's understandable. You know, if trash blows off a, a overfilled garbage can, that makes sense why it's on the ground. But if you as a person are about to go into a building, say you're about to go into Walmart or wherever you're about to go, that from your car to a garbage can or from your home to a garbage can, there's no reason why you're throwing trash on the ground. I just never understood that concept. I just always felt like that's trifling, like just period, that's trifling. At some point you're about to cross a garbage can. You could just throw that away. Uh-oh. That throwing garbage out the car, that's like one of the most frustrating things to me. At one, I just watched the woman like toss, like I, I couldn't believe it was that much trash in her car first off. But two, I'm just like, <laughs> two, I'm just like, man, you go to the gas station every, how much? Like it's a garbage exactly, can. Exactly, that's pump. what I'm saying, <laughs> you know yo. I mean? like, it's like, these excuses are over, like, come on, bro. Nah, it, 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 it's it's at least a Walgreens garbage can, some. Yeah. No, nah, people, I, I think, I think like we as people uh, just really undervalue and underappreciate like just those simple things, you know what I'm saying? Air, clean water, like we don't, we don't have to see pollution right in our face. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you go home, you're not thinking about pollution because it's not something you got to see. It. Um, and then once you throw trash out or once you, you know, you, you got this, eight cylinder truck that's just eating up all this gas and polluting air. Like you don't have to look directly at the negative effects of that kind of stuff. And until you make a choice to actually like look at it. But it's just I don't, now, a lot of people yeah, here's on a radar. But see, is it not on so let's ask that question though. Is it really not on their radar, right? We was just talking about like air quality. You know what I'm saying? So like when black people when your auntie be, when your auntie or your cousin or something be like, damn, I got asthma. Everybody in your family that lived in your great grandma's house that been in the same spot for the last 50, 60 years, and everybody that grew up in the house got the same asthma. You see what I'm saying? And and you see, like, is that not people saying that they're, you know, like that's our way of recognizing environmental things happening. Like we know that the air that we breathe in is kind of different. You feel me? But it's like um we may not say it directly and and i get what you all are saying like it is definitely frustrating but my thing is that especially when we talk about climate change like one person throwing like people throwing trash out their car don't get me wrong it definitely contributes to the problem but it ain't doing half of the damage of you know the coca-cola factory and whatever they releasing into the mississippi river on metric tons per day you see what i'm saying so like there's a corporate structure that's that's polluting the earth on a corporate scale. And then you have like the individual attitudes of everyday people that are bearing the brunt of corporate decisions and their own personal decisions. But maybe like you said, are not having the conversation in that way in their brain. So it's like, whose job is it or whose responsibility does it really fall on? Is it more of the corporations or is it us as individual actors? Like what would y'all... Well, you know what? Just being real, when I be seeing some people's stories, I'm like, you know what? It makes sense why the street dirty. Because whole time, some people's houses be fucked up. Like, bruh, you don't even got a damn sheet on your bed. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sorry. Maybe that's, maybe that's the privilege in me. Maybe I just, you know. But some things I feel like if you legit did not have it, like you don't have, you know what I'm saying, the means for something, that's that's okay, that makes sense. But if you actually have the means to have a home, have a space where you're covered, where you have water, where you have toilet, you know what I'm saying? Like like 
we went camping, you know, at Mama Mooja's or whatever, right? We were outside where we had to shower outside, right? And some people couldn't even handle that. Like, they was like, I can't handle doing this. I got to shower in, inside. I can't do the outside showers. But there is people that actually live like that every day where they have limited water. They have a limited bathroom. You know what I mean? And they they still keep their environment cleaner than people that have actual buildings to go to. So to me, I feel like it's just a privilege in us sometimes that when you when you've never experienced being homeless and like legit not having nowhere to go, I don't think you'll ever understand how important it is to just keep shit clean. Like I've been I've been in a situation where I've had to sleep on people's couches. You know what I'm saying? So. I've actually experienced homelessness and actually experienced going to a fucking federal building and them telling me you don't look homeless just because I wasn't quote unquote dirty and stinky. Like, I feel like that's a state of mind. I definitely feel you. Like there is definitely, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to not hold people accountable. You feel me? Like at the end of the day, you're responsible for your community. You're responsible for your healing. You're responsible for your community. You're responsible for yourself and your family, people you care about. Like, that is a reflection of you, you know, but I do think that it is important that, um, and I'm very, I'm working to be more mindful of this as well, you know, like how I look at, you know, people in the community, I have to remind myself, especially like Darian after doing Grounds for Peace, you know what I'm saying, and, and going to these communities with all these vacant lots, um, and having conversations with these people, right, on the south and the west side of Chicago, and when I was talking to them, it was like an element of, well, I'm renting this house. I don't really own this house. So this, this ain't even really my community in a certain type of way. I'm just passing through. And so when that exists, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's layers of social conditioning onto why people look at their environment and the community in the way that they do. And I, I definitely agree that, with that. I think I that, that social that. conditioning comes from the lack of social responsibility that we put on the corporations. I agree. You know so it's like, if we don't, like, even think about plastic bottles, G, like, it's ways, if you go to other countries, like, even in Africa, they use glass bottles. Like, majority of people, they have a recycling system where they use glass bottles. Why are we the most free country, the most democratic, the most technologically empowered um, one of the most free, all we're we ahead in all of these places, but when it comes down to plastic bottles and littering and plastic bags, we just cannot, you know what I'm saying? For some reason, make that shift. Even looking at, at wearing a mask, you know what I'm saying? Wearing a mask can save people. This thing could have been over, but people don't want to do that because people care more about their own personal vices and personal virtues because we live in a society that Hey, y'all, because we live in a society that caters the individual over the communal, right? But that doesn't, I don't think that we should blame the individual for that. I think we need to blame the corporate and the society that makes that environment conducive and okay for that type of behavior to go on. I think the plastic thing is more of a controlling the lifespan, though, because it's been proven that plastic you know, over time holds a lot of contaminated like bacteria after a while versus glass. So I think it's just one of the many methods of America trying to kill us low key. Like, because because the American lifespan has improved obviously because of, of our medical system, I feel like they're finding other strategic ways that obviously we're not conscious about. Like we don't, we don't think, oh, if I drink this bottle of water, I'm gonna die. You know, we don't think like that. So I think I think that could be a part of the overall agenda, right? The overall agenda of just like you said with with climate change and all these other things happening, I feel like it's just a it's an overall agenda to control a population in a sense. Yeah, and I, I think on top of that we have to mention the money. I mentioned that before, but money is it's not a passive thing. It's not like, oh well, this is our culture, this is what we allow. You always, for every situation, I feel like you have to turn around and look. Who could possibly be making money off of this? And when you start counting the people who are making money off of polluting of the earth, whether you want to talk about plastic bottles, and when we talk about plastic bottles, that's not just one company. That's Coca-Cola. But then what, what is plastic bottles made out of? 
that's petroleum. So that's the oil industry. So once you start looking back and looking at all the different feelers that are connected and how many people are getting paid, like if people die in the process, they're probably like, yeah, okay, people will die. But I don't think their goal is to kill us because if they kill us all, who's going to buy their water bottles? Their goal is to make money and continue, continuously make profit. And that's what capitalism is. That's the model of capitalism. It's continual growth. It's continual process. And it's at the burden or at the expense of the environment, at the expense of the workers, and the expense of the consumers, all three. So what you got to say, Darren? And I know you want to hop in. Oh, I do just a little bit. Because... Uh... Cause I mean, if you think like this country built on motherfuckers basically saying like, hey, we uh we can do whatever the fuck it is that we want to do. We don't have to consider anything. You know what I mean? We are God's people to say, you know what I mean? Like, so we can do whatever the fuck it is. We don't have to consider the environment. The environment should consider us. You know what I mean? Like we walk around like with that type of ego. Um in this country, like that's 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 what it's based on. Like everybody argue about what the fuck you gonna tell me I can't do this. That's 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 all it is. And so like, uh, and it's all usually self-centered and individualist, and not just understanding like the community. And a lot of people, myself included, um, just at a point you don't understand your connection to Earth. You don't understand your connection to this planet. Like. You know, it's not it's not taught to you in a certain type of way. You know what I mean? Like we kind of taught to have like this tunnel vision, and we are taught to be, um, you know, just kind of focus on your own priorities, and not really understanding how the your in, all of our individual priorities are aligned in some type of form, and so like not understanding that you know we we got to move in a way that allows us to succeed as a as a race and so <clears throat> people not looking at it that way sure. most people just looking at it as like oh you just want to tell me that i need to live long and be clean it's like well no um uh, this planet that you live on you're supposed to love it the same way you would love your home the same way you love your bed or like your couch like it's way more important than that stuff because it provided all that so it, it's just a different I, my personal thing it's just a different way that we gotta like begin to like look at these things because you know what i mean it's it, it, it it's important that you take care of the things that take care of you definitely one okay one time for the masculine energy that's aware because a lot of niggas a lot of niggas don't be knowing so like so how much pollution should be pollute should be produced then right because i think ultimately it's like a like i think kayla you touched on it earlier it's a it's a convenience culture you know what i'm saying so it's and that individualism that you touched on darian it comes down to this is convenient for me right now so it doesn't matter what this does to generations in the future it doesn't matter what this does to my kids 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 because i won't be there to see it this i want this bottle right now so i could just use this plastic and throw it and it'll be that but like should we put a cap on that like how do we decide how much pollution should be produced yeah i mean that's definitely a hard question and i guess for me the spectrum lies on of course i'm not i'm not even going to allow the spectrum to incorporate the super capitalistic overproduction we're going to produce until we can keep producing but there are people who lie on that spectrum and their solution to climate change is technology and technology technological advancement so there's some people who believe that we can stay on the exact same track that we're on today we just need to create you know satellite type technology that we shoot up into the sky and then it Car captures carbon and it emits the right levels of chemicals to combat this, which I am not on board with. But some people do say that could be an option. I ain't gonna lie. It blew my mind when our teeth, look y'all, we had a teacher and this nigga was talking about shooting rockets into the sky to create yeah. fake clouds that would help break down the carbon that's in the sky and the atmosphere, y'all. And they are doing so, like, you know, when people be like, Kim Trails, like, that shit ain't no joke. Like, it's really people out here running tests on pretty much how to 
I mean, that's pretty much controlling the weather, bro. I ain't gonna say it's controlling the weather, but it's definitely creating clouds and controlling the weather. So it's manipulating things. So I definitely am a proponent of technology is not gonna solve all of our problems, right? So we cannot just continue to do business as usual because like that's, the earth is telling us we can't do that. And my stepmom believes that sustainable capitalism is a thing. I'm not gonna call her out and pull her into this conversation just because she just walked in or anything. But I'm just saying that it's not a real thing and it's not possible. It's not a thing. Yeah, I'm not a big proponent of that. And then, of course, the super on the other spectrum is idealistic of like, we're just going to stop polluting now and it'll be fine. Or we can all just be, you know, little nature freaks and hold hands. And I, I, you know, I wish that could be true. I wish life were that easy. And some parts of me just wants to be in nature and eat you know, the garden's goods and be naked, but you can't do that. So um, I feel like there's definitely an in-between. Um, and I, I, I kind of look back to, you know, when we're in economics, I think our, our teacher actually, you know, drew a line on the board that represented the amount of, you know, pollution that our earth could sustain. So there, to a certain extent, there's, I guess, environmental equations one could do. But I guess my simple answer is the, the most the, the right amount of pollution is the amount where no one's being harmed. And that might be super idealistic as well, to be honest, because at the end of the day, definitely American society, just like Darren was saying, if you think about how this country was built, this country was built on slavery. So, you know, how, how do you imagine America that is run in a way that there isn't one population that's being marginalized and being taken advantage of, whether it's low-class workers, whether I wouldn't know. just say slavery. I would say exploitation. Because well, that's what I'm not, saying. Marginal- yeah, yeah. Not even the exploitation of human bodies, right, of, of people. They used that's human, they exploited human bodies to exploit the earth. So it was like, it was exploitation yeah. to exploit and continue to exploit and to create an infrastructure where that exploitation can be pretty much uh, supported, right? Because really when you think about slavery, slavery was nothing but a giant subsidy, right? When you, a subsidy is anything that is like an umbrella. That's what it was. It was free labor. When you get free labor, that is something that you don't have to pay for, which brings your overall cost down. It subsidizes, subsidizes to bring down the cost of slavery was a subsidy so now when you look at the farm bill right which is rooted in slavery right we talk, you cannot talk about agriculture in the united states you can't talk about any any natural you can't talk about anything in the united states really um without talking about slavery so even when we when we mentioned earlier that water is about to be traded on wall street where black bodies were traded on wall street these it's exploitation and it's happening in different ways and it's getting more creative. And now you have people, um, especially black people who are involved in capitalism that are, who are supporting this exploitation. So um, it's definitely been more tricky. So this question of, of how do we, hold on, what was the question? How do we achieve that level of the ideal? You know, cause I agree with you. I think the level should be where nobody's being harmed. You feel me? Like at a very foundational level. Well, well, your comment just now made me want to edit what I said because I want nobody to be harmed, but also to highlight that the earth isn't being harmed. The earth isn't being exploited because like you said, if you look at our farm system today, we are exploiting the earth. We're ex- exploiting the soil. We're doing monocropping. We're, you know, uh, literally pillaging the soil every year, um, ravaging it. So even though if we found a way that no person or animal was being harmed, you know, that way of farming is still harmful to our environment. So I feel like we need to have both people in mind, but also the environment, like you mentioned. Damn, G, this is a really powerful discourse. I feel like essentially what we're asking is what does the world without, what does society without exploitation look like? (laughs) And it's hard because where, where are there examples? Like what examples do we have to look to? You know, maybe... Maybe some historical ones, but you know, I don't have that many that come actively to to mind. You know, I, the only one. Go sorry. ahead. 
The only thing I've seen recently that's given me hope and it's gotten some attention, you probably know more about it, but you know, just some, some, some of the Gullah Geechee people in the Georgia area. Of course, I know a lot of land has been taken advantage of and has been reaped for nice resorts along the beach, but I, I have seen some short videos of some of those people who've been able to maintain uh, property and to, you know, live communally. Um, but I mean, wow. So I would say the Gullah Geechee is a prime example of all the things we just talked about. So, if you, you know, the Gullah Geechee is uh, really direct descendants. They, the culture that exists on that, on the, on that coast where the Gullah Geechee, which is a pretty much like an indigenous group of people um, who mm -hmm. are direct descendants of slaves and through their language can trace where they actually came from in Africa for people who may not know. And so earlier, earlier we talked about tragedy of the commons, right? Common goods and a lot of the area where the Gullah Geechee live that makes up their community is coastal and could be considered a common, right? It was a common for, um, for the longest time for their community and for the people who would come through and engage with their community. But like you said, now resorts are starting to come and buy up that property. So it's not, it's like, and then they're buying up prime real estate prime real estate areas so then it becomes the question of how common is our comments you know what i'm saying and then you know once all of these developments begin to happen then you get tourism that comes and then tourism you know kind of degrades the environment as well because you get more cars and you get more people that's probably going to litter and all these things so the natural beauty of the space begins to decline because tourism comes in um but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that, I, I don't know. I think that's the question for real. What does a society without exploitation looks like? Um, and I think that is the challenge really of our generation is to figure out like, and I think te technology can be really influential in, in, this, in this fight for a non-oppressive, non-exploitive way of living. But I, I just feel like that over-dependency on technology, right? Um, it was that one movie in time with Justin Timberlake when you know, time was the new currency and people was paying each other by giving each other time and like, you know, yeah, I'm kind of high right now, I ain't gonna lie, so my brain is bouncing on some real Well, wild. I mean, honestly, if you think about that movie, if you want the, because I, I, I like that movie, but if you think about the whole premise of it or the whole antagonist, what was he doing? He was hoarding money. He had millions of years locked up in a safe